the QAV Investing Podcast, episode 634. This is the free edition and we recorded this on Tuesday, the 22nd of August, 2023. If you're new to the show, uh, welcome. My name's Cameron Riley. I'm your co-host on this investing journey. I do this show each week with my good friend, Tony Kynaston. Tony's a very successful value investor. He's been doing it for 30 years. His portfolio achieves about double market returns on average. So th- what we do on this podcast is we teach his methodology that he calls QAV, which stands for quality at value. Basically, fairly simple idea, buy shares in good quality companies and only buy them when you can get them at a discount to their intrinsic value. And that's what we do on the show as we talk about how to do that. This week on the free edition of the show, uh, Tony's going to start by doing a, a deep dive or what we call a pulled pork into Whitehaven Coal, which is at the top of our buy list at the moment. And then we're going to jump to a question from one of our club members, Max, about a biotech firm called Imogene. It's been around a while, and uh, he asked Tony to share his thoughts on that. So that's it. Let's get into the show. I did have a pulled pork to do as well, Cam. All right. Yeah, okay. So uh, interesting one today. Speaking of ESG, I'm going to do Whitehaven Coal. Thermal coal is a buy, again, uh, just. So it may change, but um, there has been a tick up recently. Um, and again, this is one that has been controversial for us over the years. We've owned, I've owned WHC. It's been in our dummy portfolio in the past. It's gone up and down, I guess, with the coal price. But the, And we've copped, I've copped some stick for investing in coal companies from people from who... who? from people who don't want to invest in uh, coal companies. And um, I've taken the position that buying shares from somebody else isn't, if I don't buy the shares, nothing's going to change in terms of the planet or uh, its carbon levels. So I'm happy to buy them and do the best from a financial point of view for me. So that aside, if you don't like investing in coal companies, then you can fast forward. Otherwise, here's Whitehaven Coal. So Whitehaven Coal, large, I think it's probably Australia's largest, certainly largest standalone coal company. It's mainly a thermal coal company. As you know, there's thermal and metallurgical. Thermal coal is the stuff that goes into power stations. It's, it, it positions itself as Australia's largest premium thermal coal miner with an emphasis on premium. And the reason for that is that there are different grades of coal and the one, the premium end of the market or premium into the coal um, spectrum has lower emissions and is therefore suitable for what's called Healy power stations, high efficiency, low emission power stations. And, and that does seem to uh, reduce the uh, carbon emissions going out from burning coal. So there's a, some upside um, to this company if you're an ESC, ESG investor, although I'm pretty sure an ESG investor wouldn't invest in it. Uh, the company's based in Australia, primarily in the Gunnedah Basin of New South Wales. But they have started to expand into the Bowen Basin and also into metallurgical coal, which is the coal that's used to make steel in blast furnaces and um, doesn't have the same sort of carbon emitting profile as the thermal coal does. I found it interesting researching this company because, you know, it's a classic contrarian value investment. They make a, a good case in their presentations to say that the analysts in this space don't have the sort of forecast for the coal price correct. And they make the point that there are a lot of things at play at the moment in the coal space. Russian sanctions, which are temporary, I suppose, are definitely at play. 
And so the coal price will be moved a little bit by what happens in Russia. But also there are things like the fact that new mine approvals around the world are becoming more difficult to get. There's a movement towards um, the high efficiency, low emissions power stations, and also power stations that take mixed fuel. So they take premium coal as well as hydrogen, for example, um, and other biofuels. So that should support the coal price going forward. There is definitely a lot less access to finance and capital if you're in the, the coal mining business. So that's constraining mine development. And also too, the governments are increasingly being focused on their own energy security needs. So there are some countries, including Australia, which now put reserves on how much coal can be exported because of their need to keep the baseload of, of the grid going. And the last point that they make is that the price of coal is still a little bit under the price of gas, which is the one of the alternatives to put into power stations. So all of these things tend to support the coal price going forward. They're all, they also say there's a kind of a political element to all this as to why anyway that, that they feel the future of coal is being denigrated by analysts and economists. They state there's a institutional bias or disinterest from even researching the market because of the ESG concerns. There's also an underestimate, they feel, of demand and growth in the market. So most economists who look at the coal market are saying it's it's terminal and it's going down, whereas in fact, the volumes are increasing year on year. And there's also an underestimation of the, the growth in the market, largely because people are factoring in a shift to green energy, which is either not happening or happening much slower than anticipated. So I know this is Whitehaven Coal calling out that the, they think the future is bright for coal and that's, you know, should be taken with a pinch of salt, but there is some legitimacy to what they're saying. And certainly, you know, the reality in the last near term anyway, is, has been bearing out their arguments. A couple of other points, which are interesting about Whitehaven Coal. In its past, it was selling coal into China. And a couple of years ago, China stopped taking coal from Australia as, as part of the sanctions that it was leveling against um, Australia for various reasons, not the least of which was questioning that COVID started in Wuhan. But Whitehaven successfully found customers in the rest of the world and is now a big supplier to Japan and Korea and the rest of Asia. So if China does open up its coal markets again to Australia, that would be a boost for this company. And there, they, they also point out a number of overseas trends that are happening, which will um, impact uh, their ability to export coal. So for example, Canada has announced that they will have zero coal exports by 2030. Colombia has stopped allowing new open cut mines, and that's a, they're a large exporter of coal. And South Africa has cut exports by 50% as it focuses on the domestic energy crisis. So there's a lot of turmoil in the coal market. And I think a lot of people are drawing a straight line conclusion that eventually coal will diminish in terms of its use. But we're not seeing that at the moment and neither is Whitehaven. I'm not seeing it at the moment, neither is Whitehaven. So anyway, by the by, that's the background, I guess, to this company and what's going on. Using the numbers, it comes up really strongly on the QAV buy list. I'm still using December 21 numbers, so it hasn't announced its results yet. And so, of course, these numbers may change. But using those numbers, the ADT is $39 million, so it's um, it's very large, uh, a very largely traded stock, and so we can we can buy it without any uh, sort of difficulty. 
Um, I'm using a price of $7.28, which was on the weekend, which is 90% of the consensus target. So it's trading just below what the analysts expected to trade at. The dividend yield is currently just under 10%, which is huge. And even though, as, as I said before, the mortgage rate on average is up to 6.65%, the yield's still higher than the mortgage rate, which is very good. So it scores for that. The PE on this stock is only two, two times. So you can buy this company for twice its earnings, which is uh, incredible, I think. Again, that feeds into this you know, ESG argument that people aren't um, looking at it. And alternatively are factoring in a decline in the coal market going forward. But buying a, a you know, a, such a strongly profitable company that, with a PE of two is just incredible and, you know, won't be seen for a long time again, I wouldn't think. The prop cap is 1.38, which is, again, incredible. You can buy this company for almost one times operating cash flow. It's just, mm. it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, this company does tick our box for a, a rarely seen metric, which is the yield minus the PE. So the yield's higher than the PE. Yield minus PE is greater than one. Yes, greater than zero, sorry. So yields higher than PE, which is unusual, but it's a, I found it to be a deep value indicator. Financial health is strong and steady in Stock Doctor, which is also good. This company has an ROE of 83%, which I know is not part of our checklist, but that's a huge number in anyone's um, terms. Yeah. And the PE of 2.04 is, is the lowest in three years. IV1 for this company is $18.30. IV2 is $29.40. So intrinsic value is $29.40, bearing in mind the share price is $2.70 something. So it's a 10 times undervalued, according to that metric. And it's trading just below its book plus 30%. So net equity per share is $5.87, book plus 30 is $7.62. So one, one sort of cloud on the horizon is the forecast for earnings per share is to go backwards by 17%. So we'll have to wait and see what happens in, when it reports, but that's a, a negative that we score it for. But everything else is a screaming buy. Quality uh, score for this company is 14 out of 16, or 88%. And the QAV score is 0.63, which is way up the, the top of the buy list. So what do I think will happen for this company? Do I think it will trade at whatever the view was, $29.41? I don't think so. I think it's a, I think it's a great value stock. But this reminds me of stocks like the tobacco companies that when they, the market doesn't look at them, eventually they kind of ask the question, well, why are we listed on the stock market? So I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but eventually the management may get so frustrated that they engineer a buyout or engineer someone to buy out this company and take it private, which will mean that they'll, you know, face a lot less scrutiny and being bashed around the head for being a coal miner. And so that's potentially on the cards for the company. I'm rem I'm reminded of the I think it was Keynes the economist I think he said the share market was a beauty pageant but not one where you're trying to pick the contestant you think is the most attractive but where you're trying to pick the contestant that everyone else thinks is the most attractive and therefore I would think that Whitehaven Coal will never reach its true value because there's just not enough people in the market attracted to buy this kind of stock even though it's really well undervalued I think it will go up from here because I like their arguments about where the coal price will go, but it's operating in less than a full market. And I think that's going to be a bit of a drag on it, but have a look at it. If you aren't put off by the ESG concerns and certainly Whitehaven make an argument that of coal miners, they're, you know, probably the, the least worse, if that makes sense from an ESG point of view, because they, they mine premium grades of coal. But yeah, it's um, certainly an interesting situation and very cheap and undervalued.
that's how I sold myself to Chrissy. I said, of all the cis white males that you're going to meet, I'm the less worse one. Of Le- all of least them. worse Napoleon podcaster you'll meet. <laughs> Speaking of the move to clean energy, I'll talk about this more in after hours, but I've been reading one of Vaclav Schmil's books on energy. You ever read Vaclav Schmil? Doesn't read well. Oh man, you'd love him. He's a Czech Canadian scientist and author. I think he's written like 36 books. Bill Gates is like his number one fan. Bill Gates has said that he waits for a new Vaclav Schmil book like most other people wait for a new Star Wars movie to come out. It's the height of his year. He's a climate scientist, just a scientist, and you know, he writes a lot of sciencey type books. But yeah, I'm reading his book on energy. And he's very skeptical about the move to clean energy happening anytime soon. Not that mm. it shouldn't, mm. just that it's going to happen, you know, in any sort of time frame. You know, in, in 2018, he was saying that coal, oil, and natural gas still make up 90% of primary energy sources. And he just said replacing fossil fuels was just going to take, you know, a huge amount of time for us to retool everything. and. The incentives aren't really there yet, uh, you know, in terms of governments forcing companies to do it. And yeah, sadly, it doesn't seem to be moving as quickly as I think we'd all would like to see. No, true, but it's important to get it right. And I don't know what he's saying, but does that mean the arguments for things like nuclear are stronger? I don't know what his position is on nuclear, but I've always been a fan of nuclear. I think nuclear, is a, you know, mm. I know it takes a long time to build a nuclear power plant. Although Gates, getting back to Gates, he's working on this, he's been working on this project for years of how you take spent fuel rods and figure out how to squeeze the energy that's left out of them. I can't remember. Do you remember what the name of his company is that does that? No. I think it's like Terra Power. But anyway, yeah. I think nuclear is definitely, should have been an option, but Ooh. it takes like 20 years to build a nuclear power plant and 40 gajillion dollars. It's not a quick thing to do. Yeah, but if you don't start now, you're not going to have it in 20 years' time when you need it. So. Yeah, but, you know, it's also hard yeah, to right. sell, you know. Yeah, so, well, hopefully carbon capture or something similar then might help. But, but yeah, I'm like, I'm persuaded by that argument. I, I don't think we're facing up to the fact that it's either going to cost us a heck of a lot to move to new energy, or uh, which means standard of livings go down, or we're just not going to get there unless we use something alternative like, it isn't being considered now like nuclear. Yeah, we've got to bite the bullet at some point, but mm-hmm. no one wants to bite the bullet. Ooh. Governments, that is. Yeah, funny that, because they, they rely on people's votes. People mm. tend to vote with their back pocket. Yeah. You know, there's also the consequences of not bite, biting the bullet, but I guess they figure, well, that's somebody else's problem. I'll be out of the game <laughs> by the time the consequences roll around and someone else's problem. Yeah, I find it a fascinating area to delve into. I mean, like like you, I'd love climate change to be solved tomorrow, but it's just been a muddle so far of conflicting incentives to try and get there. And yeah. I've long argued it's a tragedy of the commons problem where mm. everyone has a vested interest in the status quo. So the only yeah. way you can get there is for the government to impose a solution or someone outside to impose a solution. Which is why we need China to take over. I'm deadly serious. I'm, I'm not well, even I, joking. I, I don't think they've solved the problem though. They're, they're opening coal powered stations as fast as they can. Yeah, they are, but they've got to, I mean, they're also investing heavily in alternative energy. They know that there's a timeline here that they have to, in order for them to be competitive 
with the West economically, militarily. They need to ramp up very quickly as they've been doing since 1979. But uh, they also know that there's a timeline where they need to transition before they cook themselves as well. No, there's a book I've talked to you about before that I've been, one of the books that I'm reading is about the the strengths and weaknesses of the Chinese model of governance versus the strengths and weaknesses of the Western style, the Westminster or the the American style of governance. There it is, the tragedy of the commons, you know, we we can have doofuses get elected and uh, make stupid decisions that, you know, then get overturned four years later. And then those decisions get overturned four years later and we run around in circles. Whereas if you look at China's strategy for the last 40 years doesn't tend to change with who the premier is. It's just, uh, yep, this is where we're going. It's this long-term plan. And they have to adjust from time to time as things don't go the way that they thought they were going to do. But they have this single-minded focus, which is catch up to the West, surpass the West, you know, take over everything, be the dominant economic and military superpower on the planet like we should be because of the size of our country and the amount of people that we have and all of those sorts of things, our 3,000-year history and all this kind of stuff, and getting back to where we were a 1,000 years ago. Is that actually their stated goal, to become the dominant superpower? I I thought they were happy to live and let live. Well, you know, yeah, sure. I'm happy to live and let live if I'm the dominant superpower as well. (laughs) Well, protect themselves anyway. Yes. I mean, you know... Obviously, they went through the what they see as the great embarrassment, the tragedy of the opium wars of the 19th century and what the West did to them, you know, as a result of them losing the opium wars. And it, it took them, it's taken them, what, um, you know, 150 years, 160, 170 years to rebuild after that and determine that it's never going to happen again. Ooh. No one's going to be able to push them around ever again. So, you know, everyone likes to be the big dog. The U.S. has loved it for the last 70 years, you know? Yep. Anyway. Hey, Alex. Hello. How How are you you? doing? I'm good. Thank you. That's good. How was your trip to Sydney? It was great. It was really nice. Thanks. Yeah, it was nice to celebrate with mum. She did get to birthday every year. So as I get older, I feel more inclined to to make it a big deal for her. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was really nice. nice. And Sean came up as well. So we had a proper little holiday. Very good. It was good to see you. You didn't catch your dad's lurgie? Well, he got tested to make sure that he wasn't contagious and he wasn't. So it was good. Well, that's good. Hey, this is probably a good time to to talk about our giveaway for QAV listeners. Yeah, yep. Yep. So dad had the great idea (laughs) of getting a link. Well, so I was given a VIP ticket link to send out to people who I thought might be interested in going to the Affordable Arts Fair in Melbourne, which is from August 31 to September 3rd this month. And Dad said, oh, why why don't we get one for QAV people? Because there's a pretty good Melbourne contingent who might be interested. So I assume that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I am, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I've arranged for a QAV link. And so basically, if you click the link, it has my code populated in it. The code name, I think, is Dad instead of QAB <laughs> because my friend set it up for me who's working at the Affordable Fair. So if you say, see that, that's why it says Dad. But yeah, I'll be there every day. And I think Dad will be there on and off during the weekend. So Ooh. it'd be nice to say hello anyway. Yeah. What's the, what would it normally cost to go, Al? Do you know? 
Uh, I haven't checked. I think it's about $80 for a VIP ticket, which might just be the preview plus the additional 20 to 40, I think. So the whole weekend. So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's probably under a hundred bucks for the yeah. same ticket, but yeah, okay. this one's for free. And I think you can book two at a time, but if someone else logs in on a different computer, I think you can practically book as many as you want. <laughs> yeah. I think we've You're been right. allotted 70 or something like that. So we'll, yeah, got plenty. Good. And, and uh, I guess I'll put the link in on Facebook and in places like that for people, but just give us a, give us the pitch for the affordable art fair, Alex, tell everyone again what it is. Yeah, sure. So I think, well, so it's a based in the UK, the actual affordable art fair brand, and they've got quite a few, I think they might be reaching about 20 different fairs across the globe and they've been in Australia for the last three or four years, though there was a similar fair about 20 years ago, <laughs> which I went to with mum and dad, which was called the Affordable Art Fair at the Royal Exhibition Building, where it is again this year. So it's kind of a full circle moment for me anyway, being at it now. But basically the pitch is that it's every artwork's between $100 and $10,000. So it's affordable, <laughs> which not so much for me, but for other people maybe. Well, it's it's a great thing for value investors, hey, to yeah. get something cheap. Yeah. Well, and Do even we have a more checklist, so, Tony? A... And what's the art checklist look like? Yeah, I don't have one. Okay. Sorry. Keep going, Alex. No, it's okay. Well, so I'm going to say I'm part of the young talent section, which would be kind of the view, I guess, because we're pretty cheap comparatively <laughs> and also we're up and coming. So everyone in the young talent section is under 35, but most of us are really recent grads from different art schools around the country. So... Yeah, there'll be five of us, but otherwise it's all galleries. So we're the only ones that are represented by the art fair themselves. And then there are galleries from mostly the Eastern Seaboard. And I think a couple from New Zealand um, that are going as well. So there'll be 53 galleries, a wine bar, which is enough of a reason for some people to go, <laughs> regardless of the art, and cafes and stuff. And it's in the REB, so it's quite pretty. So you're part of young talent time is what you're saying. Yeah. Close yeah. your eyes. Santa kiss you tomorrow. Don't let Johnny Young get you alone out of the back room. That's all I got to say. Okay. Let me tell you about the time I repossessed Johnny Young's car, Tony. It's a story for another time. All right, Alex, have you got any questions for us this week? Yep. I've got a question from Max. I think it's two kind of wrapped in one. So he says, hey guys, I always hear about Eugene on the Comsec podcast. Looks like they have a cancer treatment currently in trials. Nowhere near a QAB stock, but does seem to have made more progress than your typical junior biotech. If you are short of ideas anyway, maybe consider this one. The treatment does look promising. And then he um, has another question. So just listened to the back testing of a 20% rule one. Tony was saying he used three years of data, which is great. My only query on that is that three years ago was when COVID hit. It's been a very strange three-year period, so not sure it is reliable enough for this type of change. The market has been super volatile, so stocks that dropped 15% one week went up 30% the next. In our typical bull market, if a stock drops 10%, there is probably more at play than just standard market moves. I'll wait for the final results, but reckon it will need further backtesting in your typical market. I can hear Tony now saying what is a typical market, which is a fair point, but even he would say the last three years have been pretty unique. Oh, and then one last point. You can keep, and you keep stating the performance of the DP as being 2.5 times. Is it worth noting the performance of the light portfolios as well? Interested to compare the differences. Cheers, Max. Yeah. So a couple of questions there. Imugene. Oh, I wouldn't, I, I'd never touch these stocks. They're, 
bio bio stocks are very definitely in the tech stock category. They're all story, all promise. Occasionally, one works and you get successor bias, which which drags people into the industry when their friends tell them they made twenty or thirty times their money on a particular breakthrough. Their breakthroughs are very rare. They're even rarer for Australian companies, even though I guess per capita we have a reasonable record in terms of discovering and developing medical breakthroughs, but uh, it just hasn't been a part of our share market for a long time. And there's been plenty of people who've tried and crashed and burned. So yeah, I mean, something like Imugene, even if it does come off, its share price is suggesting it's a long way from that. And uh, yeah, I, I can't invest in it. I'm reminded of one time I did dip my toe in the biotech world and way back when I first started investing and it I must admit it was prior to a QAV checklist, but it probably, from memory, the stock still had some good runs on the board and was making money. From memory, the stock was called Biota, and it developed a product called ResMed, which I think is still on the market now, and it's an antiviral inhaler. And the reason that I did well at it was because I I did the old buy the rumor, sell the facts. So I bought it, the share price started going up a lot on the basis that they kept announcing they were getting closer to clinical trials in the US and then they were passing some, because there's a whole series of stages in clinical trials, they were passing the early stages and getting close to FDA approval. And then the sort of day before the FDA was about to hand down their final approval and the share price was dramatically up, I sold it. I thought, well, yep, it may go up a bit further if the FDA approves it, but it's already had a good run and it's going to crash if it doesn't. So I sold out and that's probably the way to play these stocks is to buy the hype and then as it gets closer to reality, sell them. And what but happened? That's, I actually can't remember. I, I, I think from memory, I think it didn't pass FDA approval and the share price came down or whatever the approval was, but then the company was bought out by one of the big, or the product was bought out by one of the big drug companies, Pfizer or Merck or one of those. Wow. And the share price recovered a bit, but yeah. Yeah. So look, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many other cases like this imaging that you hear of from time to time. They generally are headed up by a, you know, really well-qualified professor or researcher or clinician who's had a storied career and they're very volatile and very rarely succeed. So that's all I can say about this kind of stock. Have you had a look at the chart for imaging? I am you. I had a look. Yeah. People playing at home. Mm. Looks like it floated back in December, 1993. At about thirty bucks was its share price. It opened actually no, it opened at twelve dollars fifty six and closed at thirty. So float price must have been around twelve bucks. Went up by June of ninety four. It was trading at thirty five dollars, and then by February two thousand and two, it was down to five cents, and now it's trading at seven cents. <laughs> so. That's a it's, long time to be listed. And if you bought when it was at 30 bucks and now, and you're still holding because you believe you're a big believer at 30 at seven cents, even like going back to October, November, 2021, it had this massive spike. It must've had some good news. It was up trading at 54 cents. It had been around like five, seven cents for 30 years. <laughs> and all of a sudden it spiked up to 54 cents. And now it's back down to seven cents. So, uh, yeah, that's yeah, a hell I, of a ride. I, have, I haven't done a deep dive on it, but I'm guessing if 
if I hear about a share price like that, there's been capital raisings which dilute the shares. Yeah, well, there I looked in their announcements. They're just doing another one, or just did another one actually, Ooh. in yeah. August. Thirty-five million dollar placement. So yeah, raising a lot of money over the years, I guess, yeah. to fund their research. Yeah, and there's other examples. Mesa Blast springs to mind. I think that was either that one or so Mesa Blast was one a company that the product was called Surspheres. It might be Mesa Blast. I can't remember now, but. Yeah, there's been people who've been around for a long time. And every now and then someone will come to me and say, hey, I just went to this great lunch and the guy made a presentation about this great medical breakthrough that's about to happen and they're waiting for approvals and blah, blah, blah. I always say, yeah, it's a, go to the casino. It's a better, it's a better deal than backing these companies. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What I, and again, yeah, we don't buy stocks on the basis of the story. Yeah. Even if it will cure cancer. So Max thinks your three-year time frame is a bit dodgy, Tony. Yeah, look, I, I have some sympathy with that argument. Um, unfortunately, that's all we have the detailed data for because we need um, buy lists in, a, in the same format so that we can you know, run the process the same way we would the QAV since we've been doing it in the dummy portfolio. In fact, we did have another year of data, but it wasn't in the same sort of buy list format that it is now, so it was a bit tricky to use. So yeah, look, I, I tend to agree with it. That's why I think the real change won't come until I trial it going forward with this, with you know a portion of the portfolio, maybe ten or twenty percent of the portfolio of my portfolio, and see you know if it does make a difference to us. Mm. I'm just holding off for another week until I release the results because I had a couple of questions for Ryan who wasn't available to work this week, but it won't be long before I can put out the information. You can decide for yourself whether it holds water. Yeah, look, I take the point. It is it, but the flip side of that is that our Rules have to stand up in all types of markets. And I know I've hurt and the DP's hurt in the last year or so from constant rule one selling, the sort of death spiral of buying something, selling it, buying something, going down 10% again and selling it. And yeah, the only way around that was to have a lower stop loss of 20%. So it does make sense that, I mean, this Max is right. This market condition may not happen again for a long time, 10, 20 years or whatever, but at least we'll be ready for it when it does. So I'm tending, I'm leaning towards doing it, but I'm going to run it for a trial first to give me some more confidence. And I am trying to get access to more historical company data and to get someone to build more of an automated regression testing system for us. So, you know, at some point, hopefully in the next 20 years, we will have the ability to just hit a button and regression test all sorts of different variables, but we're not quite there yet. It's Well, in 20 years' time, we'll have 23 years' worth of buy lists, so that'll be enough. <laughs> and AI will be doing all of our investing anyway, so we won't need to do anything. We'll just say, yeah, just buy good stocks, AI. Give us better ones than you give everybody else, if you don't mind. Give everyone else the shitty stocks. Give us the good ones. As for Max's question about QAV Lite. Yeah, I do. I, I only really report on the Lite portfolios at the beginning of every month because there's four of them and I just can't be bothered doing it each week. And they're a bit all over the place. So the thing with the Lite portfolios, Max, is we started, the first one closed in April last year. I started it in February and closed it out in April. And of course, the Ukraine invasion happened <laughs> in February. So the market was just, you know, terrible time to start a portfolio. And so I think that one is still underwater. The next one that I started in late April, May is killing it. It's up like 
26% the last time I looked. So I don't know why. Oh, I do know why. I think we had one of the, one of the News Corp stocks that had a big consolidation and gave back a lot of cash. Anyway, it bumped oh, that, that was a right New up. Zealand one, Sky News. Sky News, SKT. That's it, SKT, right? thank you. So we've got four light portfolios, 221, 222, 223, and 231. 221 was down 13.4% since inception. The STW was up 2.83, so it's lagging quite a bit. 222 was up 25.94% versus the STW up 10.27. So that one's doing two and a half times the mm -hmm. benchmark. 223 was down 3.68% since inception, which would have been sort of late 22 versus the STW up 9.85. And 231, which we only closed a couple of months ago, was up 1.02% and STW was up 0.79%. So they're kind of neck and neck. So all up, the QAV group was up 9.87% over sort of an 18-month period versus the STW, which is up 23.74%. If I, you know, sort of take them all and add them all up. So, you know, it's all it up. It's trailing a bit. And, you know, we're looking for a, waiting for a good stretch. <laughs> we're waiting for a good stretch in the market where we can do our thing. But we haven't yeah, had a really good portfolios. stretch haven't been operating for very long compared to the dummy portfolio, which has been around for nearly four years. Yeah. And the dummy portfolio really made its bones coming out of COVID. You know, that, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, sort of June, 2020 to early 2022, mm. it, it had a great run. And, you know, that's where we uh, really got all of our gains. People who miss that, you just got to wait until the market has another sort of good run, I think. Mm -hmm. which we'll have sometime in the next couple of years, probably, if yep. history is any guide. Alex, do you have any more questions? No. No follow-ups? You don't want to invest in gene therapy stocks or cancer drugs or whatever? No. Also, I think, like, particularly, like, something like a cancer company, too, it pulls on the heartstrings pretty strongly. Mm. So it's, <laughs> it always mm. makes me feel cautious when it's something like that. Yeah, that's all. I follow up. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's the same thing with um, ESG investing, I feel too, that sometimes people want to do the right thing with their money and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, don't get too starry-eyed about doing good for the planet and getting bad returns along the way doing it. You still got to be pragmatic about it too, I think, because it's investing for your future. And there's yeah. no, no harm in taking some gambling money and throwing that behind some of these things, some, you know, your horse racing money. Horse racing money. Yeah, I mean, very small amount. I don't mind experimenting. You'll learn the hard way with stocks like this, unfortunately. Mm. And you got to be careful because if you do happen to pull the lever and get triple seven on the slot machine from your one time in the biotech space, don't go and put the rest of the portfolio <laughs> into the biotech space because that's a problem. I know how to make this work. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. I'm a genius. And I'm sure like, I'm sure if we had someone on the show who was an investor in this space, it'd be like the people who you know, do venture capital startups. I'll have a whole portfolio of a hundred of these companies hoping that one shoots the light, becomes a unicorn, shoots the lights out and the rest they can just get rid of over time. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Max. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. 
We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But while he's not, we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episode. And if you have any questions, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.